Do you love to travel and save money? Or do you wish you could travel, but money is holding you back? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Families Fly Free podcast, where I show you how to fly your family free forever using my simple fly free formula. I'm your host, Lynn Mettler. My family of four has mastered the art of flying free as simply as possible since 2015, and I want to show your family how to do it too. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Family's Fly Free podcast. You may have noticed that once again, I took a brief hiatus and I shared with you a couple months ago um, about the loss of my mother and unfortunately I've had um, yet another death and this time it was my father. So he passed from COVID on September 5th, which was um, quick and unexpected. And so again, uh, I took a brief respite there. Um, so this week, um, I wanted to talk and share a little bit about my dad with you because he certainly had a big impact on the reason why I love to travel. So he was a lifelong uh, manufacturer's representative, which means he represented different um, sportswear companies as a salesman. And so he did a lot of traveling, especially throughout the Southeast. Um, and he also was a very um, athletic, um, fit, active individual, adventurous person who encouraged me to try things I would never have done. But he's done way more than I have um, uh, on the manner of things like swimming with sharks and um, lots of scuba diving. And he was a cyclist and uh, trap shooting. The list goes on and on. So I wanted to share with you this week. Um, a year ago, um, I was visiting him. Um, he lived in Atlanta and spent about a week there, and I'm so glad, but I insisted that he do an interview with me um, all about his experience traveling and his travel tips, because he's been traveling for a long, long time and flying for a long, long time. So um, I wanna share that interview with you this week. I previously just had it inside of the family's Fly Free membership, but this week I wanna share it with everyone uh, because it's a really fun interview. I hope you enjoy the dynamic between us, and I hope he inspires you as he did me to, to get out, to be adventurous, never be afraid to try something new or different, and really live your life to the full, which I can be so grateful that he absolutely did. So please enjoy um, this interview with my dad, Harry Maddox. Welcome everyone. Um, so today we are kicking off a new series um, of podcasts and videos that I'm going to call Conversations with My Friends, where I just chat with some different folks about their travel experiences and their tips over the years. And I happen to be in Atlanta right now uh, visiting my dad and he is a long time traveler, traveled way more than I have. So I thought we would we would start with him and and get his travel tips. So He's been traveling, what did you say, since the 60s? Since the 1960s, yes. And yeah. you largely because of the nature of what you do for your job and for work. So what, tell us a little bit about that. Um, well, just to sort of start off, it, uh, the long-term traveler 
thing. I, I, it, I think it sounds better if you say experienced traveler. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that way you didn't have to know the, all the long-term events and, and benefits, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I was born in uh, Georgia in a little town in North Georgia. And so m most of my experience has been with, uh, small town folks and, and, uh, and, and just had a great, a great life back then with small town folks. So, uh, everything that I was doing was an adventure, so to speak. So, uh, my first, um, uh, actual plane trip was on a business trip that I'd been hired by a company out of Massachusetts and they were sending me up for like three, three weeks of, uh, uh, training. So, uh, having never been on an airplane, uh, most of our trips were all, all vacation trips, driving and that kind of thing. So it was an adventure to say the least. And just the whole thing of doing it, uh, seeing the people at that point in time, everybody kind of dressed up. It, it wasn't like a real casual trip. Everything had business suits or business attire or casual business attire. To and I even remember that just flying when I was little, just people, yeah, you just right. were expected to dress up when you were flying. Yep. <laughs> and it was a whole different experience. I mean, you <laughs> had none of the issues today. You simply went to the airport, you checked right. in and you went to the gate and got on the plane away you went. Um, so no security, no security, <laughs> nothing. You, you didn't have any of that. You could actually go to the gate and uh, meet right. your people coming in or, or you could have somebody go to the gate with you. So it, it, it was different. Um, and flying then was just everything that happened on, on that flight, as I remember, was, it was an experience. It was, it was just another adventure. I was uh, enamored with um, the outside, the clouds, uh, everything there. I mean, you, they, back then, too, they, we were flying late that night, actually. Or, and so everybody had what they call tourists uh, back then uh, section. It wasn't uh, economy. And so we had meals too, believe it or not. It not, wasn't just, not a just coke peanuts. And a pizza. Now we don't even have peanuts. Right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Now you can, peanuts are bad for you anyway. Mm -hmm. So you really don't want those. But so, so it was, you, you had a meal, you had drinks, you had whatever you wanted. People were really nice. All of the stewardesses back then, as they were called, now they're called flight attendants, of course, um, were, were just, they were, they wanted your business and they wanted you to be comfortable and, 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 uh, and, uh, you know, happy. Uh, flying over New York City on the way up, I I just was completely blown blown away with all the lights and everything else. I mean, it was just an, uh, a a great view out the window, going holy cow, that's what it looks like. From. And it's still, I mean, anytime flying over New York City is amazing to yeah, me. You yeah, know? it is right, truly <laughs> is. So, so that was that was my first experience, and I went to our adventure, and and uh, it's just kind of uh, gone from there to to you know kind of a worldly travel business and pleasure and everything else it's and why why do you travel for work um i'm yeah uh, i'm in sales and and uh, it's we're uh, i'm a manufacturer's representative so we we represent different companies um and four different retail uh, operations um it's it's always been, it's been a big change over the years. You have to kind of move with the, with the times. So a um, lot of the sales meetings, a lot of your customers are, uh, you know, out of the country or in the, in the country or, you know, whatever. So it was an opportunity, has been an opportunity to do a lot of outside traveling, outside the country traveling as well.
Yeah. Yeah. So living in Atlanta now, um, Delta is the airline that you have flown most, <laughs> most of your life. And um, so he was telling me about that he is a flying colonel. So tell us what that means <laughs> with Delta. Yeah, well, I mean, Delta, of course, headquartered uh, you know, uh, out of Atlanta, but it's been most of my flying. And, and once they kind of trap you into, especially with the, with the frequent flyer program and that kind of thing, you kind of hide, kind of have to stay, to stay with whichever airlines that you're are using at the time. Back then, we didn't have that many. We had Eastern, uh, which was a, a Miami-based air, uh, airlines. We, I think we had Pan Am and maybe Pan TWA Am. Transworld. That was the one I was trying to think of. Pan yeah, Am. <laughs> right. So those were, were about your, your, your choices. The Delta being the hometown Atlanta airline. And our neighborhoods, uh, I, I was around a couple of pilots. Um, you, you may remember Gary. and uh, Right. Yeah, they mm -hmm. were, he was a, a, a Delta pilot. And then I, uh, I did a lot of trap shooting, competitive shooting, and for some reasons, uh, several pilots, the uh, Delta pilots, they were also shooters, so we, we would get to know them. But um, just it's um, from that perspective, back then, uh, again, it was a whole different experience. It was they want your business and they, they want you to be happy, and it's not a so-called cattle herding kind of mentality, I guess at this point. Um, but they, they, they had a, they had something kind of like they, they were calling it a, a flying colonel. And you had to know somebody within the company to recommend you. It wasn't necessarily that you were a big time flyer, but it, but you could be. And uh, so uh, a friend of mine had a, another, uh, a family friends and uh, we got to know them through, through the visitations, Dennis and, and Mercier, you, you know them. And so they, they had another friend that worked for Delta and she was uh, gracious enough to uh, recommend me. They gave me that. And actually it's been one of the, one of the best things that anybody has probably ever done for me, just from a convenience standpoint and the long term. Back then, a flying colonel would just recognize you had a certificate and a pen and it Did was free to bring that or where no no, no they just had you to, in their system just had you in the system and so you could uh, they had free access to their crown room i think it was was probably called back then and you would get upgrades uh, occasionally you'd get uh, free drink certificates if you if you needed that so it was just an overall big benefit and also back then if you were uh, a frequent flyer for for delta and and you had, you were the medallion or diamond or platinum status kind of stuff. It was a whole different uh, experience than today. Not that many flyers, not that many high level and, and the flying out of Atlanta, you could actually get upgrades without having 500 people in, in, in front of you at a higher level. So over the years, um, the, my, my status has gone from medallion to whatever, to nothing at, on, on occasion. But always that flying colonel has been able to get me medallion seating uh, and some of the other little couple of perks. And so it's just been, uh, I'm six foot three. Uh, I don't fit comfortably in some of these seats that they have. So my favorite seating is exit row aisle. And that way my shoulders don't bump against the side and I can still take a nap when I need to, but, and I have plenty of leg room. So um, it's just, it's just been a really, 
a wonderful thing to have. And still today, probably there's still a few of us around. But you but can't you can't be a flying colonel anymore. No, there there's no such thing anymore except those of us that, that already have it. So but don't you're, have you're a lifetime Member. Lifetime member. Yeah, so, yeah, that's pretty cool. And some of the new people, when you're when you're talking to them on the phone at Delta, they have no idea what a flying colonel is. But for the most part, it's probably fifty-fifty. Some of the older ones, they still 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 recognize it as for what it is, and then thank you for you know flying as much as you did back then or now. So it's a it's a good thing to have for for me particularly. So a wonderful thing. So tell us a little bit just about, you know, any top travel tips. I know, you know, like how you get that exit row seat um, on the plane, what, what, what you bring with you, what you like to do on the plane. You can, there, you know, of course, the best way to fly, the most comfortable way is to get in that first class cabin. So at this point in time, particularly, and back then even more so. Um, so it's that, that, I mean, that's your most comfortable attitude. If you can get it, great. Um, from a, uh, standpoint of some people, they like to wait till the last minute to try to get the best fare, you know, that kind of thing. And, and you can save some money over a period of time. Sometimes me, my, my best shot, I want to fly first class if I can, or I want my exit row seating. So when I'm trying to book flights and now you just book them and in the past, you could, you could go to your travel agent and tell them you wanted to take, take three trips here, here are the dates, figure it out. Um, now you have to go in and do your own thing for, for the most part. So I go in and, and look, uh, I'm not, I am concerned about price, but if there's, if, if, if it's a little more than I want to pay and there, um, is chance of saving, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 bucks. Uh, it, at a period of time, your chance of getting those exit row seats become uh, diminished because those are the first ones to go. So I prefer just to go in, take it. And, and if the seats are available, which they are, because I try to plan it at least 30 to 45 days out front, if I can, I want those seats. So I'm, I'm, I'm willing to pay a few dollars extra just to get those seats if it's possible, which to me is important. Um, so it, instead of saving a little, a little bit of money, I'd rather have that, that extra comfort. And that's why I can't get you on a Southwest plane because you can't pick your seat ahead of time, right? You know, I did that <laughs> one time at your suggestion and it was, it was a, it was a nice flight. It, it, it truly was. But when I'm in, and I was like, a 30 or whatever the heck it was standing in the line. I'm going, okay, I maybe have a shot. So, and we're the first group of people that, that to go in. It's, it's like a rush to the exit row seats. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm standing there and all of a sudden I'm would, would be next to pick up one, but no, they were already full. So, so I had to pick whatever. And it was a short flight, so it wasn't a big deal, but yeah. uh, so that's, I'd rather have my choice and be able to and know you've got it. For yeah. Sure. No, I've got my seat. Yeah. That's just, it's, it's just kind of important to me when I'm flying. So. And you had a good tip I thought on um, saving on hotels, which is something I think people would not um, think about doing today. So. Um, that. In the past, you could, you know, you could do a lot of the price lines and um, uh, hotels.com, that kind of thing. Uh, a few years back, probably three to five, well, probably three years back or two years back before, 
you could go to Priceline and and uh, do the competitive, or you know, you could bid for for whatever. Um, you could bid for a hotel room, bid for a car, that kind of thing. And if you came up as your price was accepted, then you would go in. So many times I have stayed in some of the nicest hotels and some of the downtown nicest areas uh, for 50, 60 bucks a night. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I mean, back then you, you could, you could get car rentals. I mean, good ones. I mean, not just the off site, uh, you know, cheapos, but you could could get the Hertz and the, and the Avis uh, and the, uh, those, you could get them anywhere from 12 to $20 a day just by here, I'll pay this if you want to take it. And cause it was sort of, they were letting out their inventory. They hadn't sold that right. more last minute. Right. right. So they're yep. willing to take right. less mm -hmm. for it. So you, you, you could do it a couple three days up front or you could do it a week up front, but chances of getting it a week up front were kind of no, but you, but for the most part, it wasn't a big deal. Some, some hotel, some nice hotel downtown, some car rental agency would have some excess in, uh, inventory. So you could do that. Uh, uh, today it's pretty much, <laughs> the, it just doesn't really exist. Um, the hotel's occupancy rate, I'm, I think is somewhere around 85 before the Corona 19 was somewhere around 85% occupancy. So they weren't, they weren't willing to, to, to really do any deals today. I find that you look at all the websites, compare the prices. They're all pretty much the same. And 75% of the time I can call the hotel and, and probably get a better rate 10, 10 to 15 bucks off of what they're actually offering online sometimes or, uh, a lot of times. So it's, yeah, it's I different. Think in today's age, you just don't think about picking up the phone and calling someone. No, no, you don't. So I think yeah. that's just, right. it's, it's unusual probably for them to have people call and ask that, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if they, and if you stayed there before, or if you're, you know, somebody that are uh, some, some hotel chain where you do have some, you know, status, they will recognize that and, and uh, try to give you a little, a little break or up, grade the room or, you know, something, yeah, something that you will keep you happy. So, yeah, which is a good thing. So let's talk about, um, other than work, you know, some of the other kind of trips that you do. And he's a very adventurous guy, way more than me, though he tries. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> uh, yeah. So for example, well, let's start, we'll start with scuba diving because that's an adventurous thing. So he did, I've told this story before, but get me to scuba dive in, eighth grade when we went, took us to Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was terrified to do it. And, and he did convince me to get in the water. And although I indicated to the dive instructor that I did this, I, that means I want it up right now. Um, that was on I the up, third or fourth try to get her down. She would keep going, let's go back up. And then finally she goes, if I do this, that means yeah. right now. <laughs> so, so, and she did go down. Yeah. So, and I loved it once I was down there, like I didn't want to come back up. Like I think my oxygen got down to the very bare minimum. Um, I thought it was great. Now I still have a hard time. I, as a grown adult who thinks too much about it, um, it's harder for me, but, but I've been able to get my kids and stuff to, to do that. But anyway, so he's a big scuba diver and he's done things like swim with sharks. Tell us about that. Well, yeah, we've done a lot of different things in, in a lot of different countries. And, uh, mm. you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm, 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 I'm really not one that likes to, uh, follow a group around, but, uh, 
you know, it's just one of those things. I'd rather be independent, go do my thing or call in and say, I know you've been there. Tell me, uh, you know, what I need to be doing. So, so it, uh, uh, but yeah, it, I mean, there's so much difference in scuba diving that, that you can do, whether it's, uh, you know, diving on wrecks. Uh, we've, we've uh, been on the U-352, which is a U-boat I mean, wreck off the North Carolina coast. Um, down in, um, I think it was Dominica, um, the, we were on a, a cruiser, uh, or the, the deck of a cruiser underwater, down, uh, down about 80 feet. And what they call going down to the sand is another, could, could be another 20, 20, 25 feet from the deck of the, you know, whatever ship you're on. So we just decided to, the two of us, um, to hit the sand. So we were, we were down and we'd been told there are probably sharks in the area, which are, which are fine. I mean, we weren't feeding them or anything, but we just wanted to see the sharks. And as soon as we hit the sand, I don't know, we had probably 15 uh, tiger sharks that all of a sudden showed up. <laughs> they were, it was, it, it was a very cool, cool adventure. I mean, it, it was just, it, 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 I didn't feel afraid uh, they were swimming. They were big ones. They were probably mm. 10, 10 feet, some of them. And they would come by and, and bump you on the shoulder and, uh, you know, kind, kind of stuff. But uh, Is that just I mean, to see what, what you are? They're I guess, to see what yeah, you are? Just, to, just to sort of see. But it was just, we, we sat there for 10, 10, 10 minutes, I guess, while they were, they were just you know, floating around, coming through, going, coming. And then we decided, okay, that was fun. That really was. Let's go back up. And they they left <laughs> so it, that's pretty cool yeah so i mean i mean uh, diving if you've never done it it's it's a it's a wonderful experience totally different world uh you just you see things that you just never you see you sometimes will see on tv or in pictures but it's nothing like seeing it in real life and pen and penetrating one of the old wrecks or the ships or that kind of thing is is just um, actually just it, it's just a great adventure again. Wasn't Bonaire one of your favorite places? Because it's super dive friendly. Like, can't you just walk into the water there? Or yeah, something? right. Yeah, yeah. Bonaire is uh, you kind of own your own there. You you they give you a truck when you get there, so you you drive through, fill up, you get your tanks filled up, and for the most part, you just go to different parts of the island, and you can walk down what they call the hundred step. So you actually go down a hundred steps to get to, and you, but you got to come back up a hundred steps as well too, carrying your gear. So, so, but uh, for the, for the most part, you can go downtown Bonaire, walk out, go down to the reef, or you can go in different parts of the island and, and just wade into the water and, you know, head out to the reef. So it's a, it's a different kind of, of diving experience versus Cozumel, which is what they call drift diving. So you literally float, um, you don't you, without much effort or any effort. And some sometimes you you can float pretty fast. <laughs> you know? yeah. So there's different types of diving. Yeah, you know, different different type of diving. Just Ari Grand Cayman. We did. Um, I didn't scuba dive there, but in terms of snorkeling, like you can pretty much just walk in anywhere on the island. And we saw people scuba diving too, just going mm -hmm. on in. Right. So I, I which I thought was amazing. It's such a at least snorkeling is a good free thing you could do anywhere on Grand Cayman. Pick your spot and walk in, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose you probably could dive. They had excellent diving in Grand Cayman. So I know my husband and 12-year-old did that. They saw sea turtles and they didn't oh, see yeah. a shark, but they saw some huge wall underneath. Anyway, it was very cool. 
Um, okay, another thing that I think is interesting um, is he is a metal detector, right? Um, and it, he took me a minute to, for you to kind of get me interested in that, you know, to learn about it. So like we've done some metal detecting around Atlanta because of course a lot of civil war battles happened in this area and he knows where some, some of them are just like in behind neighborhoods and mm -hmm. stuff. It's crazy. Yeah. So he's taken um, me and my boys out and we've actually dug up like um, shotgun bullets. shells and the, well, the cannon, actual bullets. what were the little circular, circular? Those were actual Civil War bullets. Those yeah. were, uh, yeah, three ringers. We call them three ringers. They're all lead, and that's what they were using back then and in the uh, in the war. That that's that's what they use. So it's just pretty amazing. You can just find that around Atlanta, I think. Oh yeah. Um, well, yeah. You know, you can't really dig in any of the parks, in any of the national parks where they have the national battles. But there's plenty of areas where they've had skirmishes, battles, everything else that are privately owned homes or. Uh, anything like that, but it's it's always been history's always been kind of interesting to me. Not necessarily me just learning about it and hearing the dates and that kind of stuff, but actually finding out about some of that thing. So, um, you know, metal detecting it it's it's a little bit different. It's more complicated than what people would think it is. But on, by the same token, you if you have some old colonial homes or back in the Revolutionary War, back up in in the Northeast. Um, you can find a lot of old coins back in the 1800s or a lot of buttons where they had them on their coats or um, uh, on their hats. Uh, they, they would have different emblems, uh, medals, their, their buckles that they had on right. their belts or on their, their cartridge plates, uh, boxes that they would carry all this heavy uh, bullets around in. So yeah, you can do that. And England is. But yeah, he's of, actually done some trips specifically to metal detect. Yeah, That's the right. travel connection here. Yeah. But, so. Yeah. So um, uh, in the UK, they they have some of the the best laws governing. A lot of the countries just won't let you metal detect, and if you do metal detect, they will not let you bring the stuff out of the country. It's just they they won't do it. So in the UK, they've established a system with the with the British Museum, the government. Uh, if you if you ever get a chance to go to the UK go to the British Museum. You can spend days there, but literally you will see things in that museum that you will never see ever any, hmm. anywhere else. And from coins to artifacts out of the Romans to the Greeks to, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's just an amazing, amazing place. Um, the Rosetta Stone is sitting there. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's, uh, but, so they will let you find, uh, Jewelry, you know, Roman jewelry. At at some point in time, England has been probably occupied by pretty much every civilization that's that's on the continent for for whatever reasons, from the Vikings to the Saxons to the Romans to. So, in this this one man has has literally made a uh, a very nice living out of talking to the farmers around Colchester, England, which is the oldest city in England. And he is, as, as they farm the fields, and they do it twice a year, they turn the, turn the fields uh, to replant. And as they do that, then he has made an agreement with them that you can go in and metal detect. And should you find, say, gold, then you and the farmer split whatever the value of that gold is. Um, or, so there, he's just, it's just been, you can find anywhere from, um, from, uh, uh, I mean, Roman artifacts, coins, gold statues, gold coins. I mean, they're just everything so in the cool. world. 
And I'm sure you've seen at some point in time, some of the articles that pop up in the paper where some kid was, had his first metal detector and went out in the field in England and lo and behold, there's 150 silver coins that he's discovered. So it's just, you never know. But you, so you did a trip specifically. Right. So, right. and what did, what did you find? Uh, we have just a lot of buttons, uh, a lot of coins from the Romans, uh, some really old ones. The, probably the most unique thing that I found there was this, what they call a Saxon skeet. And it's a solid silver coin, very, 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 very small. Uh, there's only been 14 of them found in the world. Wow. And I, I was number That's 14. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and that was a difficult one. It was, it's, it's so small that you, it, it just kept playing games with the metal detector and you'd lose it, you'd find it, you'd lose it, you'd find it. And finally we, we picked it up and I thought it was like a little a rusty washer to begin with. <laughs> and finally the guy that, uh, was was leading the tour goes no let's play with that a little bit and see what it really is and so it turned out to be a a very nice find there yep so mm -hmm. you had it was an organized tour that where you were allowed to because there was it wasn't just you it was other people too right yeah they were like it well it wasn't necessarily a tour but but we had like five different people at that point in time so we would stay uh with them not in a hotel we would we would actually stay in their in their boarding house there and every morning at eight o'clock he'd drive us out to whichever fields we wanted to go to and drop some of us off here some of us off at other places and and come back at six o'clock and pick it up and, and pick us up and he'd bring bring us out lunch around noon so and you've yeah. done you've done that elsewhere too like virginia is that right yeah we do do a lot of course in uh, virginia is a big civil war state obviously as you know probably and there's tons of all kind of stuff in in virginia so we so, uh, several trips to virginia several to uh, new england which is again the older homes uh, revolutionary war you know that kind of thing up there you find just different kind of stuff so yeah so what are some of your other favorite trips over time? Oh, aside from the, I mean, I'm, I'm again, I like to do a lot of different, different things. I'm, I'm a cyclist, a, a bicyclist. So, uh, I like uh, doing a road, uh, uh, rides here, but uh, a couple of the trips we've taken out in the mountains for uh, business that turned out to be, we could also do, uh, something besides, you know, say a couple three extra days and getting some extra stuff. Uh, Sun, Sun, Sun Valley, Idaho, uh, great cycling out there, beautiful country. Um, and they do, they are of course, mountain, mountain, uh, you know, biking and there's different, you can do like a single track or, or come down a mountain or whatever the heck it is. And I get a little bit stupid at times with the, with the bicycle. So probably the, uh, mountain, cycling coming on a single track down down a mountain is not the safest thing for me to be doing but oh i've tried mountain biking i do not understand the appeal you just jerking the whole way down and terrified the whole way down that was that was not for me i tried it yeah but it's the speed that you that you can gain oh. go, going down and jumping the roots and the rocks and whatever it is so yeah but and you always love the rocky mountains Right. Oh, gosh, so he had yeah. a long time condo in Beaver Creek and uh, which is out by Vail in Colorado. Yep. It's um, I think the mountains to me, I mean, you know, seashores are great. 
as long as I can take my metal detector and be walking and doing something while find some diamond rings in the sand. Yeah, that kind of stuff. While the wife or the daughter or whatever they're they're uh, you laying out and enjoying the sun, which is a great thing to be doing. But but for me, the mountains, there's just no more natural beauty and and more of uh, uh, God's beauty than the um, mountains. I mean, you, I agree. It's just they, I mean the it, it, they're just incredible to see and to look at. I mean, it's just, uh, you just, uh, I just get really, really excited about being out, out West. I, I love the West. Yeah. Probably, uh, should have been a cowboy at some point in time, but, uh, or, or maybe, a, a a frontiersman who knows. <laughs> well, haven't you gone to some of the old mining towns yep. and mm -hmm. some of that stuff out there? We've tried to do some of that with our boys too. It's yeah, that's, I mean, just, I don't know, just the, the mere fact of going somewhere where not a lot of people can go. A couple of times we've taken the metal detector and wound up way back uh, in the, these, one of these old, you know, a couple of the old, the old mining towns, which you had to, to literally walk in for a mile or two to even get to. There were no, no trails or whatever to get in there. Um, and, and you just, you just find some older stuff, nothing of any, consequence but it's just the fact that they were they were using them out there and you see a lot uh in utah there there's uh on the snowmobiles you can get back in the mountains up there um and just deep in, deep back in the woods there's just old old towns that are no longer exist so across this entire country there's just so much stuff that you can do and see uh if you like the older seeing the places where people used to actually live and and make a living and and uh no longer it's all gone so any other favorite locations destinations um I, yeah uh, we we've done i mean I, I mean i do like going to england just to see the history there i mean everything we go to in europe is is of course history i mean it's a lot of history there that we don't have here so obviously uh, one of the big trips was was to Barcelona. We were taking a business trip there and decided to spend an extra couple, three days, or actually three, uh, three or four days, and uh, had a really good time. It was just a great city, and you can spend a lot of time and see a lot of things that, uh, again, you see some sometimes on the TV or hear about. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it it's just I'm I I'm one of those that. Uh, Again, <laughs> I kind of, I don't like to do the same thing twice. I want to see something new and everything for me is, a, is an adventure. I, you know, I know it, um, um, we had discussed about a bucket list or something. I, I, yeah, I don't really have a bucket list. What? Uh, <laughs> so it's, uh, there's a couple of places I would like to go. And one's the uh, Holy land and one is Italy. Yeah. yeah. You know, Lynn has spent so much time in Italy and, now she's trying to learn the language so she can become a local, I suppose. But, mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, that, that they're just, that I want to, I want to go there and, and see the things that she's talked so about. So beautiful. Just yeah. The whole thing. So it's, it's great. But, <laughs> but yeah, the Holy land is definitely one that I would seriously like to like to venture. It's yeah. my, my feeling about traveling and doing now is that when I was growing up, um, 
I, my expectations were somewhat limited because of where I was growing up in, in the, in the North Georgia mountain kind of, kind of thing. So I have done so much, uh, more than I ever probably thought that I ever would, uh, that I am. So whatever I do now, is just a plus side. It's on the plus side and it's going to be an adventure, whatever the heck it is. I'm, I'm going to make it an adventure one way or the other. So, and you know, you of course have been traveling so, so much mm -hmm. and, it's the best thing in the world to do for the, for the boys. They, uh, they, uh, they will have experiences and, and less fears than so many people that have not been able to experience some of that stuff. So, so you guys have done a super job of that and it, it'll be a meaningful experience for them. So I said, we hope so, but we hope they don't just forget it all or get it all confused because we've been so many places, but, um, We'll help them remember. <laughs> We've got plenty of pictures and such. So yeah, mm -hmm. that's for sure. Um, All right. Well, I think that's a good. Um, do you have any anything else to add? Um, no, I don't think so. The I think we pretty much um, covered pretty much out. Yeah, I guess we pretty much covered everything that's of, of any consequence. But uh, and uh, all right. Well. It was an enjoyable, and thank you for coming to Atlanta to of <laughs> help me get over a, uh, an Achilles tear. So <laughs> yeah, we got to get that healed so he can get back out and traveling and doing all this adventurous stuff again. Right, exactly right. Mm -hmm. Yep. So we're working on that. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for kicking off my first conversations with friends. It's conversations with my dad. But <laughs> absolutely. Well, thank <laughs> okay. you. All right. Bye, everyone. See ya. If you're ready to fly your family free forever. I invite you to join my family's Fly Free membership. You'll learn how to stop paying for airfare throughout the US, Caribbean, and Europe so you can make those priceless family travel memories before your kids or even your grandkids leave home for good. And you'll learn it using my simple proven formula that's helped hundreds of families. Plus, it's risk-free. You either get your investment in the membership back in free travel or I give you your money back. You can get more information at familiesflyfree.com slash join.